says it like this. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In unity. I think that if the heart of all of us were known that our coming here today is to bring a unity to our, our the unit of family that we represent, husband, wife, and child make one unit. Every child that's added after that becomes a part of that unit. And so we are here today for the sake of unity. He goes on and says, it is like precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment. You know what that means to me? That means to me that <clears throat> when there is unity, that unity starts at the head and it goes all the way down. The beard, the garment, all the way to the skirt of, of the priesthood. And Aaron was a priest. And so you, you can see as priests of your homes, fathers, the priest of your house, that the anointing of unity should be upon you. And it should run down. It should not just be upon your head, but it should get on your beard and uh, the skirt all the way down. Unity should be flowing through the family. Now that doesn't mean that your children won't have words to say to the other one that are non-complimentary. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's really good for children to be able to say it to their brother or to their sister because sometimes the friends won't say it to their face. And if the kids can say it, that can be a sounding board to help them understand. <clears throat> but it is bad when they start throwing things at each other. And um, you, can, you can take a hint from there that it's time for the head to step in and make a decision. Let's go on here and see. Uh, <clears throat> down to his, the skirts of his garment, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. I think that unity here includes more than just getting along here, but I think unity means when we're in one accord with the Lord. <clears throat> if we're talking about, if he's talking about uh, the Lord commanded the blessing, even the life forevermore. Uh, I, I can't imagine us being out of sync with one another and being in sync with the Lord. You, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, but it might just fit since this is the type of this meeting we're having. The husband and wife were fussing on the way to church, and they came in, and the man, you know, I don't know, he may have blown his horn or somebody, and she told him or something that he didn't, she didn't like what he was doing. You know how things crop up. You know, there's just a lot of things that happen. And, and so he may have had words for her on the way to church. Well, you you know, stay in your place. I'm driving the car. You stay over there and tend to your own knitting. I'm not knitting, and I didn't like what you did to that man, and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, and off it goes. And then kids hear that and all that. Well, you come into church, and <clears throat> it might be that you're a little bit late because of the lady. Or it might be that you're late because of you. 
I, I don't know. But anyway, you're a little bit late and you come in and the service is in progress. And here's the man standing in that pew with his hands raised and his wife is looking over the top of her glasses at him and just kind of disgusted because his hands are raised. He's praising God and, and she gives him this and he looks at her and says, you're a hypocrite. Well, he said, why am I a hypocrite? He said, there you are fighting with me on the way to church and now you're acting like nothing's wrong and you're praising God. And she's standing there all, you know, like one of those, you got ring baloney up here? You, you know those ring baloney Christians? You know how they tie the end of that ring baloney up? I see ring baloney Christians, you know. <laughs> and she's standing there all messed up, you know. And, and he looks down at her and says, I'm upset at you, not God. So he can, see, he can praise God. But the truth of the matter is that there has to be unity between the family if your prayers are going to be answered. I'm not going to give you a Bible study or anything, but there has to be unity in your family if your prayers. That's what the Bible says, 1 Peter 3. And, and, and this is, I think, the reason why that we've come together here because we see a need. We're representing heads of, of families and prospective families. We have some single men here, I think. Uh, I know of at least uh, six or eight that are here that are single, and and their prospective heads. There needs there needs to be some understanding of of uh, the unity that comes to us. Praise God, and I think that we're going to hear that. I believe that we have capable and able speakers that are, are here with us, and uh, I, I'm just excited. We apologize for not making it clear that it was for all men. There were several people that thought it was just for fathers and sons and some that didn't come because they didn't have a son that was over 16 and that's certainly not what we intended but we felt like it would be good to accent that but you're here we want you to be blessed i'm so thankful that you came amen brother grant asked me since we're going to be delayed to talk to you a little more about what's going on in in, in the uh, global conquest we had a meeting here how many were here at the camp meeting when Brother Erson spoke, okay, uh, early, early in the morning, that 7 o'clock service is what I was talking about, okay. Well, a lot of you were not, so uh, let me help you understand what is uh, trying to get underfoot, and uh, we believe that we're going to see some great things happen at this general conference. Are, are any of you that are here planning to go to general conference this year in Oklahoma City? I see your hands if you're planning on going. Well, you'll hear about it when you come home, I hope, by your pastors. I'm sure many of our pastors will go. It's a pastor's conference. And uh, <clears throat> we want to launch what we have called the Global Conquest. This is a, an endeavor that Brother Urshan has asked for. He is the only general superintendent in my recollection or knowledge that has ever launched a directive or an objective from his office. Now, this is not done through any division, but it's it's from his office. He is saying uh, to uh, us, the steering committee, and those involved in, in trying to hit it up, he is saying, get it done. Get on with it. Wind it up. We need revival fires burning all the way to the grassroots of our fellowship in, in, in churches. People need to get excited. 
I tell you what, we have talked about revival a long time, and sometimes we think that revival has to do with shouting and running the aisles. I believe that revival is more than shouting and running the aisles. I believe revival has some sacrifice with it. I believe that revival has some battles that are won. I also am a firm believer that revival cannot come because of what a man does, but revival comes because of what God does. I believe that what we have when we activate our faith and move in the realm of the Spirit, we do evangelism. We go get people who need to be saved, plant the seed, the gospel seed in them, and then God fills them. He activates the principles are activated by their by the word of, through the word of God. They're activated in His heart, in their heart. That person that you go and bring into the atmosphere of worship and teach them the word of God, and then they come and they are saved because of this, and then we rejoice. And when that happens, about ten strong on one Sunday night, we think we're in revival. So that's a good start. We feel like that's wonderful. I don't know how many have ever been in a service in a local church where ten received the Holy Ghost in one night, but any local church that's any size at all, uh, and let me say that uh, size doesn't make any difference. You can have it happen with, with ten or with, um, excuse me, with uh, ten can be saved in a, in a church under 50 or, or whatever. If the seed is sown and they activate the principle, it's not how many people are there. It's going to just happen if they will uh, believe it and act on it. See, I have been in churches. I remember one in Houston a few years ago where there were ten people that received the Holy Ghost. The church was couple hundred maybe 175 something like that and it seemed to have an overlay over the entire service i mean uh, people it just seemed to refresh people all over the church well what is that that's an outpouring of god's spirit it's not revival revival is more than people just getting saved revival is when natures are changed the word revive means to quicken that which is dying or dead and this happens to us what happens to us we get in a rut we change our priorities things happen to us and we go on a different direction and and so after a while the lost the people that are jesus died for are not our priority we have more in maintenance than we do in outreach what do you think would happen to a business, folks? What do you think would happen to a business if they had more in maintenance than they did in marketing? If there, were, if there was nobody leaving the building and going out and getting orders for you to fill, what would happen if all you had was people just doing the business inside and there was no work for them to do? It wouldn't be long until the business would be closed down. There has to be a reason for a business to exist. Forgive me for even thinking about the church as being a business. It is a business, but it's a, it's a, a cold way to talk about the church being a business. But when you see the church as a business, and, and if, you, if you see it, it, it ought to be the business, biggest business in the world. But when you see it as a business and you start seeing, look, how many people do we have in maintenance? 
What is maintenance, first of all? Well, maintenance is the song leader. Maintenance is the people that that take care of the office. Maintenance is the people that play in the orchestra. Maintenance is the people that do everything in-house. You know, when you come to church, what goes on when you come to church. But if everybody's just doing something in the church, somebody's running the PA system, somebody's is keeping the books, somebody's cleaning the floor, somebody's doing this, somebody's doing that. It isn't long till everybody can have a job and there's no and there's no reason for the church to exist any bigger than what you are. Then if nobody comes in and we don't see new life come in and we don't re- remember why Jesus died and we don't, and we forget about that. You know what happens? Then we get it um, kind of uh, a status quo. We have a building. We have a service schedule. We have a structure. We have a good pastor. Son, he preaches. I mean, he really gets after it and gets red in the face and, and just goes after it. He's a good preacher. But nobody's coming in. What happens to a church like that? When, when that happens to a church, the situation becomes stalemate. Then the purpose and the reason for the church, if it stops bringing people in, there's no, no more use for it. In God's eyes. He didn't die just for a few. He died that it would be ongoing. He died that the church would stretch its hands out to the world. That the church would get involved with somebody hurting. Uh, Find a problem and solve it. Find a person that's sick and pray for that person. Follow them through until that person is well. Until that person is healed. We need to be mobile in our church And the preachers, the reason why that preacher is there is because he wants to stir or should stir his people up. You know, if if God stirs our leaders like he's stirring Brother Urshan, I talked to him last night for nearly an hour on the phone. And and he told me, he said, Brother Cisco, everywhere I'm going, I'm preaching revival. I'm going to give you his other words. I I don't know if, uh, if this means anything to you. It will to the preachers, but I don't know about you. He said, I have never encountered such opposition in my life as I have since I started preaching revival like I've been preaching it. Now, Brother Wright told me that he just absolutely preached uh, revival like he never heard it in, in Ohio. We heard what he did here. I thought he did tremendous this year at our camp, the way he preached revival, the power of God, a different thing. I thought he did so good. He said, I have encountered opposition. Well, why is that? Hey, you don't think we got the kind of a devil that's just going to roll over and play dead, do you? Huh? It's not going to happen. Friend of mine, it is It is getting in our leaders because God knows how to move his body. When a leader starts sounding the trumpet of revival... And that leader stirs preachers. The preachers are going to stir their people. And the people are going to go out and find new ones. And they're going to be saved. And a cycle is going to be is going to happen. And we're going to see the world change because we believe the power of God will work through us. And we believe Jesus Christ died that we could do this. And we're doing it in the name of the Lord. Amen. It is, uh, I don't think Brother Grant would mind me saying, last night, 2 o'clock in the morning, he said I was awakened in his hospital room. He said, Brother Cisco, I had such a time in the Lord. He told me, he, he, he was invited me earlier to come by Madison next week and, and preach there. And he said, when you come to, to Madison next week, he said, I want you 
to stir our people for revival. He said, Brother Cisco, it's time we got really serious about revival. That's our our district superintendent. Uh, in one 24-hour period less, I hear our general superintendent talking about fires. He, you know, there's going to be a, a lot, an allotment of time given to me to speak at general conference this year about this. He said, when you walk out before those ministers, Brother Cisco, I want you fired up. And he said, I'm going to be behind you 100%. He said, I want you to say it. I want you to, to, we've got to have revival. And he said, Brother Urshan said, we're going to have it. Well, what do you think? All of a sudden, our district superintendent, God visits him 2 o'clock in the morning. And he's disturbed. What does that say? That we're on the right track. The Lord God is going to help us. He's going to move through us. He's going to, we're going to have revival. It's going to happen. God's going to move on his church. Honey, I believe when we get all done, we're going to be able to say he's still king. He still knows how to move through his people. He still knows how to make his people understand that he's the Lord Jehovah. Hallelujah. He's not dead, but he's arisen. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords. Able to walk amongst his vineyard. Able to stir the hearts of his people who love him. All friends of mine, this is the reason why we exist. That we can do the work of the kingdom. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Let's clap our hands to it right now. Glory. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. That's just the beginning. It is exactly uh, that that I need for you to understand. Amen. Brother Tenney, Brother Dees, come on up here. Don't even stop back there. We're so glad you're here. Are we glad they're here, folks? Yeah. Amen. Praise God. his head was a footpath. Remember, I love Brother Bill very, very much, and I mean that, and I am delighted to be here, especially to be teamed up with my good friend, Brother Carlos Dees, and to see all of you, uh, dear brethren, here. I apologize for being late, but I assure you, there is not a thing I could do about it. The plane was delayed. But I greet you in the name of the Lord. And we've come to talk about the great things of, of God's kingdom, especially as it relates to men. And, of course, we are running late. I heard some time ago about uh, a chicken and a rooster that slipped out of the barnyard. One afternoon, they slipped through the wire, and the barnyard was right by a busy highway, and they were standing by the highway watching the cars go by, very, very heavy traffic. And according to the parable, a big 18-wheeler came by, and the old hen looked up at the rooster and said, You know, I've watched this highway for years, and I've always had a secret desire. The old rooster said, Well, what is it? She said, I've always wanted to lay an egg in the middle of that highway. And about that time, another 18 passed by and ruffled their feathers and he looked at her and he said all I got to say is this you better lay it on the line and do it in a hurry 
So that's what I'm going to try to do. Brother Bill, I'm going to try to lay it on the line and do it in a hurry. My session today is the challenge of leadership. Why don't you stand and rest yourself just for a minute? I have one passage of Scripture that I want to read. In the uh, sixth chapter of the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the church of Galatia, chapter 6, verse 9, Galatians 6 and 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If you'll let me be a little colloquial and give a tinny paraphrase, we'll make it if we can just hold on. Be not weary in well-doing. You know what that tells me? That you can be doing the right thing in the right way and still get weary. But it goes on to say, if you'll just hang in there, you will reap. If you don't faint. Now from that premise I want to talk to you about the challenge of leadership. Because tenacity. The ability to, to hang on. Not, not being just dogmatic but bulldogmatic. Getting a grip on something and pursuing it. Right goals. It, it, and it appears at times it's not always fruitful. Weary. Well doing. But I had... Rather pursue a deer and miss him than to chase a skunk and catch him. Be not weary and well done. You may be seated. This basically is, of course, father, son, men. We're very, very interested in building a New Testament church. But while we are so obsessed with building a New Testament church, we must not forget the necessity of building a New Testament home because the basic building block of our society is the home. God established three institutions, the home, government, and the church. And the basic building block for government and the church is the home. And most, most church problems are extended family problems. So the challenge of leadership, if it can be accepted at the home front by the male factor of the homo sapien species, which we are, then it bleeds over into productive leadership in the church. And God knows that we need revival in the church. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 14 says that of our Lord Jesus, His eyes were like a flame of fire. Now, a flame of fire in the New Testament is indicative of revival. So that simply means that Jesus has revival in His eyes. 
And if you're seeing things through the eyes of our great leader, Jesus, you should see revival. If you're looking in the eyes of Jesus Christ, in the New Testament, you see a flame of fire. And let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Revival at the core. A spiritual atmosphere at the core of our families. The challenge of leadership at the core of our families can make a tremendous impact upon our churches. But be not weary in well-doing. There is a tremendous challenge to rise up and to conquer against all odds. And let me tell you this. The odds are not always in your favor. Humanistically speaking. There are going to be adversaries. Paul said, there's a door open to me. That means a challenge. But the adversaries are what? Many. There will always be a challenge. Any way you look at it, there will be a challenge. You, and when I say odds, now I'm not talking about gambling odds. You know, what you've heard the old adage, well, the odds are against us, or the odds are for us. I'm not talking about gambling. The casinos at Las Vegas are built by losers. But God has not planned any defeats. But between victory and our present position, there's going to be a lot of battles, challenges. Check Daniel 11.32 sometimes. Daniel said, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Now, those that come against the covenant, he said, will be corrupted by flatteries. The devil corrupts people by flatteries. He'll tell some of you younger fellas this. You're too smart to believe what your church teaches. Open your mind. And some people have opened their minds so wide their brains have fallen out. And there's a lot of open minds that ought to be closed for repairs. But you'll hear that, you know. Be smart. And, and Daniel said thousands of years ago that in the last days he would corrupt us, the devil would, the prince, coming against the covenant by flatteries. You see, people that are in a covenant relationship live a different lifestyle. So he'll tell you all of that is not necessary. Uh, forget it. But they that do know their God, Hallelujah. Now, the Hebrew says, shall become strong, or they are strengthened. Their adversaries here, the, the things that come against them, uh, the things that they have to fight, strengthen them until finally they're strong enough to do exploits. It's not just that you're weak today and you're strong tomorrow. There is a process. process. Yeah. You are becoming strong. God. 
Without trial, there's no strength. Without exercise, there's no character. And there's not a character in the Bible that did not have difficulties. Leaders are developed. They're not just born. You've heard people say, well, he's born a leader. Well, he may be be born with some innate talents, but you're not born a leader. Leaders are developed. You see, faith grows between the time you think God ought to answer and the time He answers. And we'd like to have an impartation of faith. But God doesn't give us an impartation of faith. He develops faith. And faith develops best under pressure. You don't... You don't learn faith by the lecture method. You learn it in the laboratory of life. You know, I can preach to you about faith and you can shout and jump, but you know where you prove your faith? When you get out there and the rubber meets the road. And the challenge of leadership has to understand that, that there never was a great character in the book of God that didn't have his difficulties and his struggles in in the development of, of, of leadership. They all had a little handicap. Abram, who later became Abraham, came out of a bad background. He came from a heathen background. Moses stuttered. Elijah was depressed. But they all became leaders. You know why? Because God is committed to character, not talent. Now, the devil will sell you this bill of goods, but you'll never be a leader. You'll never be anything because you don't have enough talent. I'm telling you, Paul said, that which you receive, commit to faithful men, not talented men. God is committed to character. And he'll take a man with character and overlook a hundred that have talent. Now, for instance, Mary was a 19-year-old peasant girl. And if you'll study the book of Luke, and I don't have time to go into this, you will find that Mary was chosen by God. Now, if there was a choice, then that means there were some that were disqualified. I don't think God just said, any, meeny, miny, mo, catch a virgin by the toe. I'll think he said that. But he, he looked, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro upon the earth, beholding the evil and the good, and he overlooked a lot of talent. What did this girl have to offer? Only character. Be it unto me as thou hast said. I don't understand it, she said. Which she didn't. But she said, I accept what I don't understand. And she became the vehicle through which our Messiah was born. Because she had character. Character. Oh, I like people with character. They they may not be able to sing or swing from the chandeliers, but God is committed to character. And when He looks for leaders, they may stutter a little bit like Moses, but they got character. I don't understand the ways of God, Brother Tenney. I don't either. You don't have to understand God. Just obey Him. Romans 8.28 said, We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. It doesn't say we understand. 
A lot of things I know I don't understand. But I know it. I just know it. So without trials, there's no strength. And God's going to send things to, to reveal your character because He's looking for leaders. For instance, the same stone that hit Goliath shattered Saul. He was never the same after the second verse of a psalm. His character eroded. They said Saul's killed his thousands. Oh, he said that's good. But that second verse, David's killed his ten thousand. Jealousy. So the same stone that hit Goliath shattered Saul. God, in this race of life, in this development of leadership, God wants you to become a winner. Now, most people want to win without becoming a winner. They don't want the process. Brother Dees, they want God to buy off the referee. But I want you to understand that. God wants you to become a winner. And most of us just want to win without becoming one. And God is going to make a winner out of you. Not just make you win. He's going to make you the kind of person that wins. Now there's a difference in God just making you a winner and God making you the kind of person or leader that follows the rules and just naturally wins. He he wants to make you the kind of person that beats the devil. He wants you to win fair and square. What a God. God's looking for somebody. He's looking for leaders that will accept the challenge of being men of God and of disciplining themselves. And if I had two words that I I wanted to leave with you in developing leadership this week, it would be disciplines and priorities. Those are two of the most important words I can think about. If you can set your priorities in life and discipline yourself to follow through. And if you're a, a man of character, See, God looks for someone that moves out in faith and then He moves out with them to bring victory. We are equipped to fight the war and win, but sometimes we don't want to fight. You don't have any choice. Either you take the battle to the devil or He brings it to you. Somebody said, I got on the whole armor of God, Brother Tenney. That's true, but nobody's reporting for duty. And God's looking for people today that will step out. And and don't ever try to be somebody else. God made you as you are to use you as He planned. Hallelujah! And He's got a place for you. And He wants to develop you and He will send things along your way. There's always a little sandpaper in life. Yeah, Brother Tenney, I don't know. I don't want to be in the war. You, You can't straddle the fence. You know, years ago they told the story about the the fellow that didn't want to get involved in the uh, Civil War, so he put on a Union coat of blue and Confederate breeches of gray. And the Union shot him in the chest and the other shot him in the breeches. Can't do it. Double-minded person's unstable and all. Come on over on God's side and unpack. Make up your mind. Oh, God is looking for leaders, leaders, leaders.
today, men and women, that are not afraid. You know, there never, it never was a day when it was more of a challenge to be a preacher, and I'm not talking to preachers, there's a few preachers here. But even as a preacher, first and foremost, I'm a fisherman. Now, God wants me to be a good fisherman, not a cruise director on a luxury liner. Because if I try to become a cruise director on a luxury liner, then instead of men fishers, I become men pleasers, going from saint to saint, trying to make sure they're all very comfortable. You know, playing shuffleboard with the deacons and hosting and dating games for the singles and making like a lifeguard for the young people and administering first aid to some poor old sister who's frightened out of her wits by some frantic fish whose whiskers are too long that just managed to flop over the rail onto the deck. I'll be gone tomorrow. But I'm talking about leadership. You don't, you see, you, you don't, Buy a $10,000 boat and a $5,000 trailer and pull it up in your front yard and hang a sign over the back, Fish, welcome here. I tell them, coming through all these cows today, I was, I was reared on a dairy farm. And I said, I'm going to tell you fellas something you may not know. You don't get out in the middle of a pasture with a stool and sit on it with a pan and trust that a cow will back up to you. That is not the way it's done. It's a land that flows with milk and honey, Brother Timmy. That's right. But somebody had to rob the hives and somebody had to milk the cow. I'm talking about the challenge of leadership. Of getting involved and, and committing yourself, and there's a difference. We got too many people in churches today. I don't know about Wisconsin. I'm talking about Louisiana. They are involved, but they're not committing. That's right. All right. Well, what's the difference? I'll tell you the difference. If you had bacon and eggs this morning, the hen was involved, but the pig was committed. No, there's always people that'll come by three times a week and lay an egg and cackle about things. But we need people that'll give little slices of themselves. Commitment. Oh, gentlemen, men of the Spirit, God is looking today for men of commitment to the person of Jesus Christ, to His church, and to become fishers of men. And you don't become good fishermen just accidentally. James chapter 5 is a a, a tremendous, uh, oh, it's a tremendous revelation, really. He goes on down in in, uh, 16 and 18, verses 16 through 18 of James 5, and he talks about Elijah. And he says, Elijah was a man of like passion. That means just like you are. And sometimes we preachers present people in such a way that saints can't identify with them. We don't let the feet of our Bible heroes touch the ground. You know, we don't let... We've got halos on them and we forget. But, but he said he's a man of like passion. That means he was a man. Everybody say a man. That's what you are, of like passion. He fought the same passionate battles that you fight. 
But he became a leader because he did not become weary. Even when his post, his, his picture was in every post office, wanted dead or alive, called Jezebel collect. He was a leader. You know how he became a leader? Verse 16 says he prayed. Verse 18 says he prayed again. A lot of people that will pray, but they don't pray again. They get weary in praying. There is no place, gentlemen, in life where prayer can be eliminated. What I am talking about in developing leadership is not an experience, it's a relationship. I was... I went to a marriage altar 35 years ago and I went through a ceremony and experience called marriage. But I have been working on the relationship for 35 years. And that experience has to grow into a relationship. Well, nearly 40 years ago, I met Jesus and I had a tremendous experience. But for these nearly 40 years, I have been growing into an ever-deepening relationship with Him. What makes a leader? People take note, the Bible said in the book of Acts, that they had been with Jesus. And, and the heroes of the Bible all had problems. I've told you that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If, if these fellows would have lived today, we'd have had difficulty with them. Because we hadn't learned yet to handle Christians who have problems. We have a little trouble with the weakness of the flesh because we've expected everybody, you know, to always, and, and that is idealistic. Well, Abraham had problems. He lied about his wife. Said she was his sister. Got ahead of God and married his wife's handmaiden. They had to win just like you have to win. And sometimes they lost before they won. But it's not who won which battle that counts. It's who won the war. I've heard preachers say that Abraham never staggered. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible said he staggered not at the promises. Don't tell me that when God told him, you take your son, your only son, and offer him not just as a sacrifice, but a burnt sacrifice. That meant kill him, cut him up, dismember him, stack him up, and burn him. Yeah, he staggered. You know what he staggered to? He staggered at the impact until he got to the promise. And that held him. And when he got to this promise, he staggered not at the promise. As a man, he staggered. As a man, you'll stagger. But if you can just get to a promise. Hallelujah. He said, I know my God has told me that he's going to raise him up and make a son. And he said, if I kill him, God's going to raise him from the dead. He got to a promise. And that's what kept him. As a human man, I'm sure he had fear. I've heard preachers preach about David meeting Goliath and he was unafraid and there was no fear. I can't identify with that. A little ruddy boy, maybe 19 years old, looking up at a nine-foot giant with a sword like a weaver's wedge. And David not afraid. Yeah, he was afraid. Let me tell you what he said. What time I am afraid, I'll trust in thee. The human emotion of fear. We read the Bible so often through stained glass and we read the these and the thous and we, we don't understand that that so many of the leaders of the Old Testament were developed by the process That's right. of getting weary and well doing but hanging in there there's only two men in the Old Testament that I know of that didn't have major problems recorded against them as far as their personal life and that's Daniel and Joseph 
Now, we were talking about Elijah. Meanwhile, back at Elijah, his name meant Jehovah is God. And I said the odds sometimes are against you. Well, his name meant Jehovah is God. And they called him Elijah the Tishbite. And Tishbite meant he was a mountain man. He was from the mountains. He wasn't a polished prophet. And he prophesied at one of the times of lowest, the lowest spiritual ebbs of Israel. Ahab was king and Jezebel was queen. And Jezebel's name literally means the unmarried spirit of a married woman. We've got a lot of that today. He was the John the Baptist of the Old Testament. That fellow was something else. Different from the polish of the court. He was a mountain man. And here he goes up against 850 prophets that ate at the queen's table. You know what that means? They knew which fork to use and which spoon to use. And here comes this old redneck mountaineer. Blazing out. Odds were against him. Everything was against him. And his name meant Jehovah is God. That's one God. That's about all he ever talked about. You know, God really did some funny things to those prophets. Isaiah had two sons. I can't even pronounce their name. But one of the sons of Isaiah was named, it meant, a remnant shall return, and the other one was named, judgments coming in a hurry. And can you imagine when Isaiah's wife went to the back door and said, judgments coming in a hurry, come on home. A remnant shall return. Go get me a bottle of milk. But but all of those names had, had meanings, just like Elijah's, Jehovah is the Lord. Now, God, the inspiration of the Lord was upon him, and, and, and he, he just did it. He went down and told the king. He said, it's not going to rain nor do anymore. D-E-W, unless I say so. And there wasn't no raining or no doing. And the king said, where is that preacher? And the Bible said they looked for him in all nations. There was, there was a search warrant out for that poor fella. You know, the odds were against him. The prophets were against him. And, and they built the altar. And you know what he finally did? When he, he got up there, he poured water and he didn't have any matches. Well, everything was against him. But he spoke right out. In the face of the enemy. He didn't panic. You know sometimes. Throw this in and not believe I will. Some people will hear of a little error somewhere. A little something wrong. And they get panicked. And uh, their eyes look like two fried eggs. And their nostrils begin to flare. And they just know the whole thing's falling apart. Not Elijah. One man. 850 false prophets. Plus God. All the odds against him. But God and one man sufficient. And to think what God put that poor fella through. He was the exception to what was going on. Are you the exception? But then it's kind of lonely where I work or where I am to be a spiritual leader. Are you the exception? God's looking for the exception, not the norm. Well, if you can't believe something, you won't act on it. 
You've got to see yourself as becoming. They that do know their God became strong. Don't judge yourself where you are. See yourself as becoming. Look at the lives of these Bible heroes. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He looked into God's eyes and saw grace, not judgment. What are you looking for in God's eyes? Negative or positive? The Bible said he found grace. That meant he was looking for it. And it was a bad generation, sinful generation. Uh, the evil of men's heart, the Bible said, was to do evil continually. But he said, God's going to make a way. I see grace. Now, I see judgment all over the world, and I see evil everywhere around me, and I'm working with it and living in it. But when I look in God's eyes, I see grace. I see grace. What do you see in the eyes of God? Oh, brethren. When you get to looking at the world and all of its circumstances and things around you, you know, you, you, you feel like a lizard that ran across a piece of scotch plaid, blew up trying to relate himself to everything at the same time. I mean, there's a kaleidoscope of emotions out there. But look in the eyes of the Lord. If something pleases the Lord, it doesn't matter who it displeases. And if it displeases the Lord, it doesn't matter who it pleases. Poor Noah. You talk about how bad things are today. Look at Noah's day. Everybody against one. Imaginations of hearts. Ever heart. Evil continually. No church, no Bible, no Holy Ghost, no Jesus name. And God told him to build a way out for his society. And you know what God's called us to do? To build a way out for our society. And he told him to take gopher wood. And told him the pattern. But God did not cut down one gopher tree and God didn't drive one nail. He said, you got the plans and you got to do it. Build a way out. But you don't do it, Noah, by pouring over the plans day and night. You've got to get out there and do it. And he proved that God and one man are a majority. Hmm. Hey, bear with me a little in my folly. This man had never seen rain. Can you imagine the incredible story? And brethren, he went home to his wife and tried to convey to her his spiritual experience. And his boys. Did you know God didn't speak to his boys? He spoke to Noah. And didn't speak to him again for a hundred years. Dear Lord. And he told him to build a boat. Two or three hundred miles from the ocean. And he goes home to tell Mrs. Noah... He says, I met the Lord today. She said, you did? What did he tell you to do? He told me to build a boat. Where? Out in our backyard. What? Yeah, he told me to build it 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet wide. You've got to be kidding. You know, I think she was a woman of like passion like we are. 
far as a human. Can you imagine that and build a boat in my backyard 450 feet long? Why? He said, it's going to rain. She said, what's rain? He said, well, up above us, there's a lot of water in those clouds. And God's going to dump it out. And, and when He does, it's going to be called rain. Can you imagine what she's thinking? Can you imagine the thinking of his son? But you know, leadership is the ability to leave in others the desire to carry on. And somehow he implanted in them. And those days men lived a lot longer than they did today. Can you imagine Noah's wife? Yeah, yeah, I trust in thee. I believe she said all that. I don't know. The odds at home were probably against him. And she, she probably said first thing is, when is all this going to happen? He said, I don't know. It could be a hundred years. And it was. And can you imagine those boys after they'd been built in about 50 years that came up to his dad and said, Pop, would you tell us the story one more time? <laughs> You've been working on this thing 50 years. Look. Uh, they had never heard anything. They were going on. What a responsibility for a father to be the priest of his household and to know that he has heard from God. And that he can leave in his children a spiritual commitment to carry on. He was the exception. Uh, two generations mocked him. He lived long enough to see two generations making fun of him. And he kept saying, I'm right. Be not weary in well-doing. It did not rain until Noah finished his part. Take him as an example of leadership. It takes time to develop, but hang in there. Be not weary in well-doing. In due season, God will use you. And if we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're not wise. Oh, hallelujah. If you can't give me a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist nod right about now. We, we, I, I, I mentioned Abraham. You know, his name originally was Abram. And, and Abram wasn't a Jew. He was a Chaldean. There weren't any Jews till he came along. Abram made the nation. And things were bad in Ur. They were living in the aftermath of Babel. And people were still confused with humanism because the spirit of Babel was in Ur. And there was a lot of humanism in his day. And they didn't believe in God. No faith in God. You know, a lie that we buy is that uh, things are worse today than ever. But in days like these, it pays to remember that there have always been days like these. And these are bad days, but in some ways they're good days. And somebody said, well, I want to go back to the good old days. Do we? Cut off your electricity, throw out your refrigerator, Kick out your air conditioner, get you a horse and buggy, eat beans and rice, and go back to the door. There's a spirit of the past that we always want to keep, but things have always been bad, and God has always had good men in bad times, and bad things have always happened to good men. And God doesn't come down and explain Himself to our vain minds. He just comes down and says, trust me. I'm developing 
You can either fight the circumstances or you can let the circumstances develop you. There's no waste in God's economy. And in Abraham's day, no revelation of God, no church, no Bible, no baptism of the Holy Ghost, nothing as we know it today. The odds were against him. But in the midst of this, he believed God. And God takes this one weak man and, and brings down the base things of his day. And he wants to do that to ensure that only God gets the glory. He likes to take an underdog and defeat the favorite. Loves to do that. Oh, brethren, if somehow I can get you to see that through the power of the Holy Ghost, there is a potential in you, in your area, chosen by God to be a leader, a spiritual leader, a dynamo for God. Let your light so shine before men. Don't put it under a bushel. It's bushel kicking time in Pentecost. We've got to get the light on location. We've got to get enthused. Hallelujah and excited about what God is doing in the closing quarter of the 20th century. And I want to be a part of it. And I don't want to be sitting on the sideline keeping score. I want to be in the middle playing the game. The world doesn't come to see us keep score. They come to see us play the game and win. A lot of your neurosis, you're going to have to lay down, get involved, going to get skint, bumped. I heard of one man that was so neurotic till they said he couldn't ever watch a football game. Because every time he did and he saw them huddle, he thought they were talking about him. That kind of spirit's got to go. When the going gets tough, tough, get going. Abraham didn't have any children, but his name meant father and God said I'm going to step it up and call you the exalted father of many nations and he still didn't have any what a God you know God delights in activating a man that's got faith 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 God is committed to character God looked down and saw Jonathan and his little armor bearer. And a little victory came on a half acre, if you remember the story in the book of Samuel. Saul blew a trumpet to proclaim a victory, and he only had 600 men. All the rest of them had gotten fearful and gone in caves. And, 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 and there wasn't a, only two swords in the whole army. Jonathan had one, Saul had one. Nobody else had a sword. And there he is blowing the trumpet for victory. And 36,000 Philistines showed up to see why he blew the trumpet. <laughs> he blowed up an enemy. <laughs> he was 600 men. And, and the, the soldiers he had got nervous and they started hiding. And some actually capitulated to the Philistines. And, and he got nervous and he called the sacrifice. And, and you know what he used for a priest? The only priest he used was Ichabod's nephew. Now you're talking about odds. 600 men, 36,000, two swords. And for religion, he's got Ichabod's nephew. And Ichabod means the glory has departed. God, have mercy. And he, he, he wants that fellow to offer a sacrifice in time of crisis. You know, some people say, well, I'll tell you, Brother Kenny, if we had better leadership in our church... We'd have a better church. Hey, 
the angels had Mrs. Lot by the hand and she didn't make it. That's right. And you can't beat that for leadership. My beloved brethren, it's an individual affair. Hello. Right. Let God develop you. And sometimes he uses the preacher as a little sandpaper. The job's never finished till there's a little sandpaper. Praise God. Well, I hope y'all love me. I'm glad. Finally, there's old Jonathan. And he told his armor bearer, said, let's go over to the Philistines. And they went over with one sword between them. What odds? And they went up on a half acre. You can read it sometimes. It is a tremendous story. And on a half acre, with one sword, they cleaned up and killed on that half acre 20 Philistines. And because of that leadership of that fearless man, Jonathan, and this little armor bearer, hallelujah, you always need a sports system. All of Israel got stirred up. And everybody got to come in because of a little victory on a half acre. God's given you a half acre somewhere. And a little support system. But he had to climb to get to that half acre. He had to venture out in faith with all the odds against him. And he chased them. And they defeated them. God's looking for men of exception. Look at Moses. And I hasten. Odds were against him. He made a choice to go with God's people. And he knew the power of Egypt. He was 40 years old when he was run out of the country. And he stayed in the desert 40 years. Now he's 80 and God calls him to do the impossible at age 80. Now God, how am I going to do it? He said, put your hand in your bosom. Okay. Pull it out. Leprous. Oh, leprosy. Put it back. Without cleaning. You know what God was telling me? First thing you've got to learn if you're going to be a leader is what's in your heart will eventually be in your hand. If you got leprosy in your heart, keep your spirit right. Keep your attitude right. Then he said, what's that you got? He said, a rod. He said, just my old rod. Throw it down. That turned into a snake. And then notice what the Lord told him to do. He ran from it. He had plenty of sins. Lord said, pick it up by the tail. You ever been to a serpentorium and watch them handle snakes? They don't pick them up by the tail because when you pick it up by the tail, you leave the business in out. <laughs> you pick them up by the back of the head. You've seen them do that. Milk those out. You pick them up by the back. But God said, you talking about odds, grab it by the tail. Lord, Moses, not the first fellow to find out he had a little snake in his staff. But he handled it. He knew the odds. He'd made one attempt killing the Egyptians one at a time with a stick, and that didn't work. Oh, God, if we're not careful, we'll sometimes let past experiences defeat us. When God called him by that burning bush, he could have said, Now, God, I've already tried it. And you know that bunch don't want out of there. 
You know how hard-headed they are? And sometimes we'll try, and if it doesn't work, we'll say, well, we've tried. I just can't. Gentlemen, we can. You know what kept Israel in the wilderness 40 years, wandering? Ten men who said it can't be done. Ten leaders who said it can't be done. They could have been in there a long time before. See, there's good leadership and bad leadership. There's negative leadership and positive leadership. Your God, hey fellas, your God's not negative. Did you ever go to God in prayer and say, God, I got some problems. Listen to me, Lord said, now wait a minute, before you tell me your problems, let me tell you mine. God, you got problems? Have I got problems? The angels went on strike. No. Yes, and my utility bill's so high, I'm going to have to hop the pearly gates to pay it. What else, Lord? Well, I totaled my chariot out last month and my insurance was up. And not only that, if we don't get a rain up here, the river of life's going to dry up. You don't ever hear God say that. Our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. You are a trophy of grace and God has a design on your life. You can be God's man in God's time doing God's work in God's way. Hallelujah! If you rise to meet the challenge, the challenge of adversity, and instead of letting it defeat you, understand this is part of God's economy to develop me. He doesn't just want me to win. He wants me to be a winner. Right. So He is developing me so that I can whip the devil fair and square. Eighty years old, Moses. He couldn't talk. Been out of touch for 40 years. And God said, go. He was a shepherd. And the Bible said the Egyptians hated shepherds. Yes. 80 years old, Egyptians hated shepherds. He was born in Egypt. He had already tried and failed. People didn't accept his leadership. When he got them out, the first day he got them out, he got them to the Red Sea. And the Bible said in one verse, verse 10, uh, of the 15th, of, uh, or the 14th, or 15th one of Exodus, they cried unto the Lord. And the next verse, verse 11 says, and they complained to Moses. That's right. Had nothing. 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 Well, gentlemen, I'm just here to tell you, don't listen to people that say if you, you can't do Well, Brother Tenney, you believe God always answers prayer? Sure I do. Now, an answer is not always yes. When the idea is not right and you pray, God says no. When the time is not right, God says slow. When you're not ready, God says grow. But when everything's ready, God says go. And that which is done in God's time and in God's way will not lack the resources of accomplishment. God's looking for leaders today. Just as His Spirit went in the earth before the birth of the Messiah looking for a virgin woman of character, if God can find... Let me tell you how you know you've had a visitation of God. I've seen people jump and leap and dance and shout and I thank God I shout more than y'all. Come down to our camp meeting sometime. I'm wild. But Mary had a visitation of the Holy Ghost 
And the next thing she did is she went out and found her relatives, Elizabeth, her family, and told them about it. A real visitation of God will send you out to share what has happened. That's how you know if you've had... If we have a real visitation here, you brethren will leave here wanting to share. Yeah. Challenge to share. Yeah. yeah. There are going to be problems. I'm going to tell you, Father, something. Not all teachers are parents. But all parents are teachers. And you have to learn that it's a fight. But be not weary in well-doing. I've got a promise. In due season, you'll be that leader. Get you a goal. Get a goal. Pay the toll. Play the role. But you've got to have a goal. And, and don't bite life off in big hunks. You'll get indigestion. Just get a, 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 an objective goal. Something you can do. You know, no need to get up and say, bless God, I'm going to start praying five hours every day. Get, get something you can do. And, and, and break into it. Nibble it off till the first thing. You know how you eat? You fellas know how you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And we look at some of these big things. I'll never be that. Don't take it like that. Take it one bite at a time. Jesus Christ is Lord. Learn that you're equipped for victory. Hallelujah. And God called you as you are to make something out of you. I give you the challenge of leadership. And some of the very obstacles we fight are the things that God has sent our way to enrich us in leadership. God bless you.